today's episode, Dave interviews actress Jill Bernard. Jill is a founding member of the Twin Cities Huge Theater. She's performed her one-woman improv piece, Drum Machine, at numerous festivals and jamborees throughout North America, including Chicago, Toronto, Miami, Philadelphia, and the Comedy Sports National Tournament. Jill has also appeared on MTV's Made. On location at the Twin Cities Improv Fest, I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. It's really happening. It's really happening. Well, what's happening is, like, like the idea of having technology here, and going, how does this work? And me being with you, but having the technology and having the audience and being with you, uh, Jill Bernard. So there. Have you done this? Do you have one of these guys? No. I don't do podcast. I don't have a podcast. No, but do you do, you the, do the technology? Human. You also have. I do a show called Drum Machine that involves a single piece of technology, <laughs> but it's, a, it's the most basic drum machine you can have. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to upgrade because I'm not going to get any. In fact, I bought a looper pedal one year thinking, oh, I'll do a different show that involves a looper pedal. And it's way too complicated. Right. I can't work it, so I won't do it. I don't like this table. Oh. I don't like the table. It's from TGI Fridays. No, I like the table. (laughs) (laughs) Much of our furniture here at Huge Theater is from TGI Fridays. Or a... a university. No, I'm not doing a bit. This table is from TGI. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. The curtains are from an, un, an unnamed university uh-huh. that does not know of their absence. <laughs> uh, except, like, like when it becomes daytime and they have to do a show then. <laughs> oh no! We've got windows. What happened? What happened? We have windows and um, I. Your show, like the uh, the drum machine show, is that that's about as technical as improv gets, though. No, there's more technical improv. There is. Yes. Who's doing that? Uh, have you seen Kevin Riom's FaceTime? Didn't you do a FaceTime? I did a FaceTime. Yeah, that's really technical. Yeah, but 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 I have nothing to do with that. He does it all. And then there's yeah. a, there's a fellow here in Minneapolis named Josh Kewen who invented a solo show where he does uh-huh. all the sound equipment too. Like he runs the sound effects computer. Oh my God. That's and a lot I of work. He the lights too at the same time. He does the lights as well? Yeah, he just runs around like a crazy man. It's very technical. Uh huh. And, and are you distracted when you watch that show that that's like what the fuck's going on? In a good way. It becomes part of the show. Yeah, yeah, it's very much part of the show. Do you think that when you do your show that, that the technology becomes part of your show? I try to make it invisible. Uh huh. I prefer doing the show with a live musician, but when I do use the drum machine, um, Andy Enger taught me the idea of being neutral, like you as a performer. As a solo performer, when you're switching characters, there's going to be some time in between. Right. And Andy teaches how to just be neutral, and the audience gives you that time. Right. Like, time it takes me to walk from character A to character B, the audience isn't invested in that time. They just let it kind of be. Well, they need that neutrality as well. They need that breather as well, because it's, it's, um, it's a period, new paragraph. That's what happens. But we need to be present to that, the idea of they're watching me, they're with me, there is no downtime, nor is there time where they're judging me. Right. And the judgment of you being up here and going, oh my God, they're looking at me, I need to fill in this time. You are filling in the time by being there. And I feel like the, the, the gauge of an, of an experienced improviser is how long can you remain silent with no sound? When you're a beginning improviser, that's like two seconds and you feel like your heart beat outside of your chest. But then you watch people who are 20, 30 years in and they could just be silent 
for hours and be happy. I, I was watching, um, Avery Schreiber did, you know who Avery it was? I do. Yeah, Avery was one of the, the first people that was at Second City. And um, he came to do a, a set with us when we were on the main stage. And I, and I, I, I have an affinity towards him because my mom thinks that she went to high school with him. But there's no proof of that at all. And, um, <laughs> and so I thought, I'm going to do a scene with him on the main stage. And he came out, and he was so laboriously slow. And I'm going, come on, old man, pick it up, pick it up. And then I was realizing, no, he's present. He's, I, and I, I was at that moment able to go, I'm going to relax into his Yoda-ness of his just beingness there. Because he is making shit happen, and I'm not watching him labor, I'm watching him evolve. I think about Avery Schreiber often because it's a, the story I heard is that the week he died, he was working with young improvisers on a new form, mm -hmm. on a new improv form. And that's my goal. Like, I don't want to ever have to stop improvising. I want to die still creating new work with, with the new improvisers. And I, it, that's really comforting. Right, I feel the same way. I feel like we can't retire. Because what are we retiring from? Right. And somebody once said, and I, and I think that everybody's heard this, is like if you find something that you love to do, you will never work again. Because <laughs> you're not working. You're just doing it. It's not like, oh, I found what I want. I'll never work again. It's more like, I found what I want. That's what I want. It's not work. It's what I want. My uncle said, work is what you do so you can afford to do what you want to do. <laughs> work is what you do so you can afford to do what you want to do. And I feel that way often. What are you lot calling of what... work? I don't know what you're calling work. Okay, well. Because I don't work. Okay, well, I do work. But do you understand what I mean? <laughs> when I say I don't work. <laughs> when I say, what I mean is when I say I don't work, I don't mean I don't get paid. Right. I mean what I'm doing is... All of it is me. You know, I met an improviser who came up in the I.O. system who felt like he, he didn't work. And I, I didn't say it to him because I, I didn't think the conversation had already gone so poorly. Um, but, like that improviser doesn't notice what Sharna Halpern is doing. Sharna Halpern is keeping the lights on and keeping the, the health inspector out. Uh, Sharna Halpern is paying the bills and making sure there's a safe, uh, clean place to play. There's a lot of work to the work of theater that I guess I didn't really know until I, until I uh, joined the crew that opened this space, mm -hmm. right? Like a great portion of my month is spent like doing bookkeeping and having strategic planning meetings and doing budgets and uh, <laughs> picking up trash off the floor. It's, there's a lot of work behind theater. And you, you can, I mean, as theaters get bigger, of course, they offload that work on somebody else. Mm -hmm. But um, we haven't yet, and I don't know that we ever will entirely vest ourselves. Because huge theater is artist run, so mm -hmm. we're going to continue to run it. But there's a lot of unglamorous things to theater that are just plain work. Right. Right. And I guess I was really naive about that when we opened the theater. That's awesome, though. Yeah. That you make those discoveries. Yes. And then you also make the discoveries that people are people want to help you. Oh yes, that's been the most gratifying thing. So many people want to help you because mm -hmm. they're we're I mean because they're really they're helping themselves. Right. 
creativity. I love the idea of being in service. The idea of I am in service. So when I'm teaching, I am in service to the community. And they are in service to me, too. I'm getting something out of it. So today, there was a discussion, and I think the fellow is here, and it, 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 there was some statement that was said about, he called me an enigma, and I was like, and it was so interesting to be part of that because we're inspiring people in such a deep, profound way. And I want that impact because I am you and you are me, and we are all in this together, right? Yeah. One time I was in a tutoring program when I was, I think, in my early 20s, and I, I met with this girl, and we read, I helped her learn to read better, um, more good. Um, <laughs> and at the end of it, uh, it was like the last day of the tutoring program, and the coordinator came over and gave me a small gift, like a pen and pencil set or something, mm -hmm. and said, thank you, and gave me this gift. And the girl was standing next to me, and she said, what do I get? <laughs> and I realized, yeah, you sacrificed as much of your time to come make this 20-year-old white girl feel like she's serving the community. You gave as much of your week as I did, and you should get something. And the process of reading wasn't easy for her. Like right. she didn't, we, you know, the Bernstein Bears can be really intense when it's every word is a struggle. Right. Um, and I, ever I, that was a very humbling moment. I was like, oh. You're right, what do you get? Did you give her one of the pencils or the pen? I have no recollection. I, I, the whole thing goes like into a white place after that. Like I just turned into light at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is you were light before that moment too. Um, that's pretty great. Yeah. The idea of somebody being on their own journey, like all of us are, 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 on, are on our own journey, and she is going through Berenstein Bears the way you know that I look at some improvisers, especially the stuff that, 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 we're, that we're doing or that I'm doing, where I'm asking somebody to think in a different way, a total different way. I'm asking them, and I look at you and I go, oh my God, you people are so unbelievably courageous. Yes. You're so brave. You're going out there, and you're, you're making this sacrifice. If you're saying, I I'm going to crack myself open and I am going to dissolve or I'm going to shatter. The idea of shattering, of going, I want you to come up here and somebody coming up to me later and saying, thank you for calling me on my shit or thank you for being with me because I want to be with you. And that's what we do in tutoring one-to-one, -one, having a conversation one-to-one. -one. This isn't about me. It's never about me. And I'm always very grateful because we as teachers have no right to ask us of students. And I'm not a psychologist. I have no way to put you back together after. Like, you're on your own. <laughs> I can tell you some good yoga teachers in town, but I, I'm not, I don't know how to put you back together. No. So I'm always really grateful. And there are a couple of classes that I teach where I, I just have to say, look, I. I'm going to show you this thing because I think it's important and valuable, mm -hmm. and I think it's it creates wonderful work. But I don't know, I, I, it's a great it's a great risk and there's great vulnerability to it, and I think we've lost a lot of great improvisers along the way because of how vulnerable this work makes you. Mm -hmm. um, asks of you. Asks of you. Right. Or if you if you heed the call, 
So I'm always really, really grateful to my students. That they, and anybody who chooses not to go along with me, like uh, retention rates in improv classes are horrible. You know, mm -hmm. like the number of people who start at level one and come out the end. If you show that to a university, they would call you a failure of an education system. Right. You know, your 2% graduation rate or whatever. I don't think of that as failure. I, it's not, it, sh it shouldn't be for everyone. I mean, anyone can be a great improviser, but the number of people who don't want that, like that is fine by me. I, I think that everybody's on their own journey yeah. and they're coming to get what it is that they're coming to get. I'm always surprised when people just totally abandon it. Um, What's your record? Um, like I've, how 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 soon have you lost a student? Oh, I've I've lost. Well, I'll give you an example. This is really weird. I have a I have a drop-in class that I teach on Wednesdays, and you can buy a ten-class card, and the ten-class card is two hundred and forty dollars or two hundred sixty dollars, and classes are thirty dollars each. And I've had at least at least ten people buy ten-class cards, and nobody's forcing you to buy a ten-class card, who has never showed up. Wait, they buy it and they right. never even get one. They punch. never get one. I've never seen them again. I, I, like, How do they buy the card? They go online and they buy the card, and then I never see them again. Wow. I never see them again. But I will also have people come Wait, in and go. You never saw them in the first place. No, I did see them. They'll come in and go, oh, I really love your class. I'm going to buy a 10 class card. Like, great. From 2009, there's some woman out there who was like, I'm going to buy a boatload of these. Like, fucking go. And then I never see her again. Now, my, my, what's my recidivism rate? Um, I've got people, I've got students that I've worked with who, I've got at least 10 students that, that stick around. But people come and go because it's a drop-in class. Right. And it's in the middle of the fucking day in LA, yeah. where most people are sitting home crying. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm taking away valuable Don't lie, time. they're in their cars crying. <laughs> right. They are clearly in their cars crying. But, uh, I, but I, I also look at some people who, because my work is a lot of me going, no, that's not what you feel. No, that's not what's going on. Tell me what's happening. Be with me right now. Be with me right now. And if they don't want it, they leave. And I get it. I get it because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not, oh, everything's okay and it's going to be all right. Because I don't think I'm doing a service to somebody when it's like, and I don't need to be right. I love it when somebody calls me on my shit. I fucking love it. Cause I don't know about you, Jill, but I'm going to say this and I'm suddenly going to, I probably regret it, but I'm at a and point. this podcast is uneditable. <laughs> we can't turn it off. Um, but I'm at a point right now where no one's giving me notes. No one gives me notes. I want notes. So when somebody has a discussion with me, I'm like, talk to me. Talk to me. Because I, I'm, I'm this elder statesman, and I want somebody to say something to me. But I'm not. I'm not hearing it. Am I making sense? Oh, yeah. I don't get a lot of notes anymore either. Right. We have to be good uh, stewards of ourselves and pay attention to what what we ourselves are doing. And we have to ask. We have to seek things out. Um, what do you mean when you say seek things out? What are you seeking out? What do you mean seek things out? Well, you know that that Susan Messing idea of things being ishy, like when a scene is ishy somehow, you yourself can look back on it and figure out what it, what was the source of the issue. Oh, no, most of my improv problems are really there's a, a cue to them. Like you could tell, like um, very often I'll be speaking in an improv scene and my scene partner is attempting to also speak. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to be a genius to, to diagnose that improv problem. <laughs> oh, I'm a fucking steamroller. <laughs> <laughs> like that, 
And that, that's something I've been working on for a while. Um, if you, if you want to learn about your own improv, uh, the, <laughs> the Hideout Theater in Austin does something called, uh, well, it, it increases by one hour every year. This year they did a 44-hour marathon. Mm -hmm. Just recently. Yeah, just last, just last weekend. Right. Um, you, that's when I learned the most about my improv, doing 44 straight hours of improv. And at hour 30, I just was like, and everything became. You shattered. Yeah, well, hour 30 is really funny because it's a maestro. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the video, you see there's a point where I noticed that everyone else who's a marathoner has been eliminated from the maestro. And I get this crazy look in my eye and I'm like, I gotta win this. <laughs> I gotta win this for my brothers in arms. Right. And I took off and I'm just like, bits and bits and bits and bits. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Solid bits. Solid bits. And I won. Um. <laughs> you won in love. I was like, you won Don't in love. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> like, I love, I love this. Meme when somebody goes, and this person said that, and they won the internet. Yeah. <laughs> like, you won. You won. Have yeah. you heard about our improviser of the year awards here? Did I ever tell you about oh that? Oh my concept? god, that sounds horrible. It's wonderful. It's Here's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> this is every December, the first weekend of December. Um, as you arrive, you put your name in the bowl, uh -huh. and everyone, uh, the improviser of the year from the previous year, comes up and awards pulls a name out of the bowl and awards it to that person. Uh -huh. That person comes up on stage and declines the award. And they say, there's another person in this room who deserves this award far more than I do. And they pick the next piece of paper and read that person's name. And of course, because I designed this, you're supposed to come up with a hilarious bit. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure in that at right. all. You get a dollar or whatever. You, just, you decline the award. Uh -huh. And the person who wins the award is whoever's name is in their last. Nice. Yeah, like how else could you? No one can. Wait, no one can be the improviser of the year. No, I, I it's love Pasquazi that. who says who said that, right? Yes. So Pasquazi said it's like it's like the, the what was it the best performer in an ensemble? <laughs> I think that's what it was. And it was like something like that. And he's like, I don't know how this works or something like that right. because if I'm if obviously I didn't do my job because I stood out of the ensemble. Right. And then I, it was something like that. Yeah. Well, you know, you look at somebody like Pasquazi and. Uh, there, there are a few of us that are just like Abraham Lincoln's of improvisation in that you look at it like that is an iconic person and we so many people use him as an example of 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 being the the uh, the, the uh, icon of strong improvisation the interesting thing is we so often it's a male I I, I don't know who the equivalent of that is. Well, the only track story about a female is an anti-story. Right. The Joan Rivers story. The Joan Rivers Dell story? Yeah. Right. We don't right. have kids. Right, right. But honey, what about the children? We, we don't, don't have, have children, children. Right? So it does feed into that, oh, those women, you know, that sort of thing. But I look at it and, and I think that right now, the women... I want that to be, oh, those women. Oh, <laughs> like, and there's a guy going, oh, stay those off my women. lawn, you kids. Those curse, 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 curse. I mean it. Fucking Kate Smith windows. <laughs> um, but uh, there is, why is there no, why, why is it that there are no, that there's not that woman? Who is that woman? Because we have the Pasquese, but we don't have, why is that? Because not enough people have memorized bossy pants. 
Oh, so you think that it's uh, Tina? Yeah. Uh-huh. You could tell story. You could tell track stories about Tina Fey. Mm -hmm. Um and maybe it's maybe these track stories I mean because how old is how old are some of these stories? You know, for a story to become iconic, maybe it takes a while. There should be stories about Tina. There should be stories about Amy Poehler. Right. Like they're a great iconic improviser. There is there are some Gilda Radner stories. There's Gilda Radner stories. You know what? There are Gilda Radner stories. Yeah. Yeah, there are Gilda Radner stories. Yeah. One of the but again, looking at all of this stuff, like all the time that we've been doing this, and and, to, and like you've got this theater. God damn it, you've got this theater. You have a theater, and a soft and Tom Booker have a theater, and the hideout people have a theater, and all this shit that's going on because somebody had an idea and then they went and did it. Yeah. You know the Brave New Workshop folk, like what's what they want improv. You know it's amazing how huge that is. Like what is going on? I look at that theater and go, what's happened here? It, they've exploded. Yeah, we this whole the whole process of building huge has been amazing at every turn. Uh, we we had we had a, we thought it would be we thought there was a need, mm -hmm. and we were smacked in the face with how right that assumption was. You jumped <laughs> the fuck all over it. Yeah. And because there's a lot of people going, you know, um, I uh, I really I think that what this should happen is this, but did you went, god damn it, you did it. Did I ever tell you that we we had so many people sign up for improv classes that we had to build an extra classroom? Like, how does that? Who does that happen to? You. People keep saying, oh, you should put out a group on. For classes, like why? I don't need to sell more classes. We have no. so many students, and they're so wonderful, and they came here because they want to do it. Um, Nobody's doing need... improv because it's cheap. Right. Like I save money, so I decided I'm going to use that Groupon. Like what? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, I was going to do I was going to do improvisation, but I'm going to wait until there's a Groupon. Like, why would you do that? Either you're interested in it or you're not interested. Well, this is a funny thing we've it's learned. Not like Chinese food. The funny thing we've learned opening a theater is it turns out that people just buy Groupons randomly. <laughs> and so they'll buy a Groupon and then they call you and they're like, oh, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> and so I, we always have to explain to the improv groups that are performing as a Groupon is expiring. Like I remember going backstage and talking to Poiv one time and saying to them, a large percentage of the audience bought a Groupon and has no idea what this is. <laughs> so if someone could do a curtain speech that kind of starts in 1950 with the oldest bullet and brings them up to date, <laughs> that'd be fantastic. But, but are you selling Groupons for students as well? Or no, no. Oh, okay, for, that's what I thought. For, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, I thought you were selling Groupons like, Come join the no. no. Okay, great. But right. the Cold Town Theater in Austin, I think, did a student group on. Mm -hmm. and I don't. I didn't talk about whether they had the same experience. If people bought it and were like, "Hey, what is this?" Right. What did I? What, I thought this what was an improv this? class. Did you guys? Uh, right. The the best assumption, the best sidewalk assumption of what huge theater is I've gotten to date is a. Uh, you guys throwing? You guys showing Jurassic Park 3D in there? <laughs> 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 what a great assumption. <laughs> this, scene, this scene is starting excellently, sir. <laughs> They're not wrong. You want it? I'll do the Jurassic right. Park. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that my tits have hands. Yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, one of my favorite cult movies from the from the seventies. <laughs> my tits have hands. In 3D, my nipples are coming out. Um, 
uh, yeah, I, I, but it's also like you, you, you've got this community and this community keeps serving itself and, 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 and moving on and people are doing like, like are, are people forming their own groups and going out of here or are they forming their own groups and staying here? We're, well, part of the reason we found it is because we wanted, we wanted in Minneapolis to be a place where you could stay and have a career as an improviser. Mm -hmm. Uh, we used to have real talent drain where if you had any interest in pursuing it, you'd go to Chicago or New York or L.A. Right. Now it seems like, yeah, maybe you can make a go of it here. We're still, we're still losing people, but so we're, in a, we're, we're not there yet where this could be a place where you could stay and have a long, healthy improv career. So that's the goal. Um, I think troops, troops are beginning to understand that they can go other places. Mm -hmm. I think for a while... Butch talks about this. They got scared that they needed to ask us for permission, and we're like, no, no, no. The whole point this theater exists is to get you to be a, a springboard to bounce you out into the world. So troops are going out and setting up their own shows, thank God, finding other venues, going to places. It serves everybody, the idea of, if I say to you, I want you to learn so much that you leave, and and yet there's got to there is that uh, within that is this feeling of I trust that our relationship is strong enough that if you leave and go somewhere you're you're serving me by doing that yeah you know what I mean like my relationship hasn't changed I love what you're doing please go out because this place isn't big enough for me either you know what I mean yeah. like you're you're you want to make this larger is that right or no me personally yeah like no. I like, I only like small things. Right, I know. <laughs> I forgot I was talking to you. I only like small things. Do you know why this is called Huge Theater? Talk. When I was teaching, when I, I used to teach under the name Tiny Improv, because mm -hmm. I like small things, and we were joking, the five of us were joking, and I think it was Fotis that said, um, we should call the theater Huge Theater. And we would be Tiny Improv, Tiny improv and huge theater, ha ha ha. And then I stopped teaching under the name Tiny, but then huge came to be. What did you feel about the? I know this is a, I, 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 the idea of the the weight of or the quality of the word huge is such a different quality than of tiny. Do you understand what I mean? No. I'm not talking about weights and measures. I'm saying when when I think tiny, I think small. Yeah. When I think huge, I think vast. What tiny makes me go in like that. Huge makes me go out like that. And so the, the, the name of the theater is huge. It's like, oh my God, there's room for everybody. Oh my God, there's just room for so much to do. But tiny makes me think, oh my God, I don't know, can I? I mean, this has been the growth of, of myself as a person. Like, I mean, why do I still live in Minneapolis? Why didn't I ever move to New York or LA or Chicago or any of those things? It's because I don't, I don't in, enjoy struggle mm -hmm. and I don't want to claw my way to the top. And, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't like being questioned on my pedigree. It, I don't need to prove myself, uh, but I have had to learn how to be broader. Broader? What does broader mean? In terms of, well, I yeah, I used to keep things very small. Mm -hmm. I used to like only register small workshops, but then suddenly, yeah, now I manage a student body of 253 people, not counting the teenagers. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> And so that's that. That's my growth as a as a as a person as well, is learning to be fine with open spaces. And also to learn to, to to the idea of this, this can be bigger. I don't need to think smaller. Yeah. I can think bigger, and that's why huge works for me. Yeah. Um, because when you say you know that 
this town that you're in, that's why you just stayed here. But you haven't stayed here. You travel all over the world. That's true. You know, and, and you are all over the place. So we can't confine you here. We don't confine you here. You don't confine you here. Because if you wanted to confine you here, you would never go to an airport. You know yeah. what I mean? So you're not thinking tiny. You're thinking large. But when I travel, I... I carry the smallest bag. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just you just carry the smallest bag. It doesn't mean you have the smallest bag. You just carry it because you pared it all down to this is all that I need. For me, I look at it and I go, in my life, I have gotten rid of so much stuff. And I mentioned this in the podcast before that there's a book club that I'm in called Fuck That Book Club. And it's um, it's looking like a at sex ring. yeah it's not it's this yeah. and I've talked about it before oh, but the it's book this. was so you know, good but here's here's this <laughs> so there's a book on there's a book on your bookshelf that you will never finish reading fuck that book there's a book that you were never gonna read again fuck that book there's a book that you will never open there's a book that you never liked. Fuck that book, get rid of those books, and you're gonna have a lot more shelf space to put other things on. You know what I mean? So what does the book club do? You don't actually, do you meet? <laughs> no, it's a fuck that book club. It's not a book club, it's a fuck that book club. <laughs> so you don't, it's not a, you No, it's meet. about you getting rid of shit. It's about you going, I'm never, like, yeah. like admitting to yourself that I don't need all that stuff. And when we travel, and just like in our lives, we form these people around us, like that person is a lot of trouble, and I know that I can deal with that person, but I'm not going to. You know, I'm gonna go, no, I don't have time for you because you're not bringing in the calories that I need in order for me to live my life. And so it's the smaller things that I'm going, that's great, this is what I need. And you know that when I was 17, my house burned. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's really when I learned the lesson. After that, I, I've always kept, I've always had very few things. I've never owned more than I, I've never owned anything I can't lift, mm -hmm. except my car. Uh -huh. um, and I've never owned more than, well, this is the first time. You can't time. lift your car? No. You don't know that. <gasps> <laughs> that's my new catchphrase. You don't know that. You don't know that. <laughs> you weren't there. You I forgot that. about my sidekick. I know, side that's why I was waiting for you. I have a sidekick. All right, tell me, okay, you want to Um, I can't lift my car. You don't know that. I wasn't there. What? It doesn't work, work on right. myself. All right, good. Uh, so, um... Okay, we'll do this one. Um, the, the, the donuts outside were really, really good. You don't know that. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> I wasn't there. I don't know how your catchphrase works. <laughs> I would send it back to R&D. R&D. No, but the thing is, like, not had like the idea of the, like not schlepping around all the stuff that you. I yeah. love packing light. I love it so much. Like the suitcase that I have right now is like, oh, what do I need? You know what I do love? I have a collection of scarves that are the scarves I've bought when I arrive in a country and find out it's colder than I thought it was going to be, mm -hmm. and I have to buy a scarf while I'm there. Those are heavy. <laughs> right, they're small and light, and you go and you wear them when you get home too. Right, and it's also there's something that's connected to that architecture too. It's the feeling, the emotion, but it's also you, and you're probably going to go. Oh, I should pack a scarf. I'll get one when I'm in Tunisia. I'll get one when I'm there. That'll be a great conversation. In right, a foreign language. In, right, take or... my scarf money. <laughs> I have a feeling that sentence has never been said before. <laughs> <laughs> 
take my scarf money. Um, there, uh, certain people say things and I go, that sentence has never been said before. And it's really exciting. Somebody said to me yesterday, they said, um, uh, she's a teacher, and she said, um, I had a student come up to me and say, um, I gotta tell you how much you've, you've influenced me. I stepped into an elevator and I was playing a porpoise when the CEO walked in. <laughs> yes. And I was thinking, that sentence has never ever been said before. <laughs> and then, and you, could, you could pare it down into, I stepped in an elevator and I was playing a porpoise. Like that part of the sentence has never been said before. And then to add on top of that, and then the CEO walked in. But we get to be present to all this shit that's coming at us, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like all these words matter. And, and, so, and, and so many people say, well, I, I wasn't paying attention to that. It's like, give yourself an opportunity to pay attention to that, whatever that is. Yeah. And the show that we did last night was really fun in, in, on so many levels. And level one level was, I felt that you, you and I were, were simpatico and we were really listening to each other. I love the story that you said, that you wrote in yeah. the Google Plus. The Google, the Google Plus. Was I the only one that saw that? Because there's nobody there. <laughs> is there anybody there? Butch is there. Butch is on Google Plus. You guys are on Google Plus? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I got a, a, an oh, this, email. That's a great smattering. You yeah, didn't support anything. <laughs> I never I don't go know if the microphone picked up that smattering. <laughs> smattering. Yeah, but I, I don't go there. I just don't go there. But the story is great. It's a really great story. Yeah, last night we did a show. and at, there's, there's normally a chair on stage. Uh, that has a sponsor plaque, a donor plaque that says the stage bender. So I went to grab that chair because that's funny. But it wasn't that chair. The chair on stage last night said Jill Bernard's dad. Um, and then I felt like my dad was here and it was nice. Um, and then we ended the set. We were doing a, a scene where my character was being excommunicated. So I sang the Ave Maria. And the reason I know all the words to the Ave Maria, the Schubert Ave Maria, is because I sang it at his father's funeral my grandfather's funeral. So this, the show was bookended for me by these two memories of my father. And what, what part was I playing? I, w I, I, I was, was playing a father. think about that. Yeah, you're playing a, you're a, playing a, a priest. priest. Yeah. Right? It, when, when we take a look at how honest we can be with ourselves and how truthful we can be with ourselves and how when we work on truth and honesty, that it goes deeper than we even think that it can go. So the cleverness that, that comes in when we're trying to be funny takes us away from one of the reasons that I do this, which is to be, to live, to live my life in a, to live my, my life in such a strong way, to go deeper, for my roots to go deeper, for me to get emotionally deeper so that I can walk off stage and think, oh my God, I've never done that before. I've never had that emotion before. And when we start uh, pushing that envelope and going, you know what? I'm going to be truthful here, and I'm not normally truthful. And go, I, I know what? Right now, I'm going to be forceful. Now, I'm going to be less polite. Now, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest in this moment. And then we walk away from that and go, that was so goddamn easy to do. And we have to start teaching people that I need to hear who the fuck you are, as opposed to the rules. Yeah. There's a level three class at I O now. It's called you, Y O U. Really? And it's just about point of view. That's God, lovely. it's great. That's lovely. Oh my God. And it's not about the structure. It's not about the herald. It's just about you. Who are you? What's your point of view? Let's talk about it right now. Not let's not talk about it right now. Right. But let's talk about it right now. Which yeah. is that. But not now. 
right? Or we could talk about it now. That's fine. No, we too. can't really talk no, about it now. It's too late. It's too um, late. But I, I'm thinking, isn't that what we're doing here? What we're doing here is, I mean, for me, I feel like I'm the midwife to, to your voice. I'm the one that says, come on, pull it out, pull it out, pull it out. And that was the scariest part of the journey because when we, when we started at acting school, you think, oh, great, now I don't have to be myself. I'll get to be these characters. And then the process you learn through acting is that, oh, you have to be more yourself than you ever have before. Right. And then improv is like, oh, great, I'll get to do this. I'll get to do some make ups Oh, no, it turns out, again, I had the process twice through scripted theater and then through improvised theater that, oh, no, it's more about you than about anything else in the entire world. Oh, my God, that's so beautiful. That's really true. And, and to give somebody the permission to say, look, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. And, and all that you have to do is unfold, unfurl, and evolve. And who you are is so important. And that's why, you know, when, when I, uh, to look at a child and go, that child needs to learn everything. And so I need to be there, not that I have a child, but I need to be there to encourage that person to go further and to move further and to go further and to move further because they get to be who they are. And I get to be pushing that, or noticing that, or encouraging that, guiding them. It's great. Yeah. It's really great. No, but that is true. But it's also trust, right? It's trust yourself. How do we learn that? How do you learn to trust yourself? Yeah, how do you learn that? I mean, I know I do. Because there comes a point in, with, with every great artist where they go, oh yeah, yeah, you have an opinion, but that doesn't mean that I'm wrong. That means you have an opinion. You understand what I mean? Yeah. I was talking about this just the other day on a different podcast. What? <laughs> about... Wait, 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 wait. You do other podcasts? <laughs> I'm so sorry, baby. No, they didn't mean nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, w I, I was talking about how when I started as a young improviser, I was doing it because I needed the, the love and applause from an audience. And then you get to a point when you improvise for an amount of time where it's not, where you are just doing it for the improv. And I think that's when you really feel like, oh, I have to pursue what I think is good. Because you learn quickly that what if I'm trying to do what they think are, is good, it's not going to work out well at all. It's, it, I, I mentioned this before in the podcast, that the idea of what you think about me is none of my business. Yeah. And as you get older, you go, oh, wait a minute, I am the boss of me. I was talking to, was I talking to, who was I talking to? I was talking to somebody about the job that I have is to be me. That's my job. I get paid to be me. Um, I'm the boss of me. I'm the employee of me. I love me. I encourage me. When I do something wrong, I'm gentle with me. Um, and when I do something right, I treat me. Um, uh, every Christmas, I give me a bonus. And uh, when I'm out, every once in a while, I'll buy, if I'm out of town, like when I was in Toronto one year, I bought myself a jacket, a leather jacket, and then I brought it home to me, and I was so happy with me that I bought me that jacket. <laughs> and it's a matter of, I get paid to be me, and I love what I do. And when we look at our lives like that, we become so much more gentle with us, I think. You know? But it is that sense of trust, of one day you wake up and you go, Oh, the less I pay attention to your point of view, the less I pay attention to your critique of me, the more I'm able to focus on who it is that I am. Or Susan would say, fuck them if they can't take a joke. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, that's really true, too. Yeah. The idea of fuck them if they can't take a joke. Because, and, I, and that's why we love Susan. 
is because Susan, we look at Susan and we go, God damn it, you're so you. You are so you fucking you. You are the you. Right. <laughs> she is the she is she. Um, and, and look, and like, like when, when, I, when, I, when I pay attention to her, or when I'm, when I'm listening or when I'm playing with her, I'm like, I'm along for the ride. You've schlepped me along for the fucking ride. And she's so passionate. And I think about our scene yesterday where I was licking your chin, like making out. That made me think of Susan too. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did it? Because yeah, it reminded me of the time I was doing a, messing with a friend and Susan stuck her finger up my nose. Uh -huh. And I thought, wow, a legend of improv has her finger up my nose. Right. Again, right. now I want to do like an improv celebrity Put your things in my things. What? No. <laughs> no, that was the 90s. That's behind us. Speaking of behind us <laughs> and putting your things in things. Um, let's end there. Yeah. Good. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on ADD Comedy, you can visit our website at www.theaddcomedytour.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in taking a class with Dave, you can find that information at his website at www.davidrosowski.com. Sound services for the ADD Comedy Podcast was brought to you by Post Apocalyptic.